1: Illinois is a state with a grand history of profound impact on our nation and our world. We've sent four transformative presidents to the White House. We were the first state to ratify two of the most important amendments to the US Constitution. One abolishing slavery, and another one granting women the right to vote. The first cell phone was invented here. So was the first television remote control and the first widely used internet browser. What all
2: these He loves Illinois. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, March 16th is brought to you by unions, SEIU healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of labor
3: and the Chicago reader. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show. Benny J. Take it away. We call them the political love couple, the political power couple of the 25th Ward. Two of my favorite guests, Lorraine Targos, Alderman Byron Sixel Lopez. And, uh, I call you guys a triple threat. I'll explain why, uh, sometimes and i love all my guests okay i'm not favoring any guests over the other but some guests that oh, go ben don't ask me about xyz you know i can do local issues but not national or i could do national but i can't do local or don't ask me about the environment well with laurie and byron it's like they're triple threat you want to talk environment we'll talk environment you want to talk local issues and mayor laurie Lightfoot, we'll talk local issues mayor laurie Lightfoot. you want to talk national issues Uh, We'll talk national issues. Uh, Byron even wants to talk Ecuadorian uh, environmental issues. I mean, it's like, okay, do that curveball at me at the last moment. I'm ready. I'll talk about anything. And to top it all, unapologetic lefties. They're not afraid to say they're lefties. Proud of it. So, Laureen and uh, Byron, with that as an introduction, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank
4: you, Ben. Always good to be here.
3: All right, let's start with some local stuff. We uh, Let's just do the transition, and uh, you guys just share the mic as they say. Uh, get both of your thoughts on this one, because I know both of you have thoughts on this. General Irons uh, wrote a story about it last week, wrote a column about it last week. We were just talking about it before you came on the air. Uh, the city and in its infinite wisdom decided it was a good idea to take this uh, loud, obnoxious, noisy, shredding operation that had existed for years in a, on a rapidly gentrifying north side neighborhood, and move it to the far southeast side. Uh, And that does two things, uh, Byron and Laureen. One, it opens up the land on the north side for more gentrification. Two, uh, it enables the city to take care of the various interests that own these operations, keep them in business, and say they're creating jobs. Uh, There was opposition to it, a hunger strike over it. Uh, Oscar Sanchez was on the show uh, last week. We'll start with you, uh, Laureen. What's your general... uh, attitude or thoughts about moving uh, General Irons facility from the north side to the south side. Take it away.
0: It's just a great illustration of the power dynamics in our city that continue to endure under, you know, what was supposed to be a a change in in leadership at the mayor's office. Um, It's just a perpetuation of the status quo and You know, but I'm I'm grateful that the people are no longer tolerating the status quo and only for their courage and sacrifice and taking on the hunger strike um, did anything happen on this without them. You know, no one was coming to save them, but them and they stood up and saved themselves or are in a fight to save themselves. You know, we've had little wins, but, you know, the permit hasn't been denied yet. So we're still fighting. Uh,
3: Byron, what's your thoughts on where this is going to how this is going to play out?
4: Well, if if, uh, if there's any justice, um, and if there's actually a commitment, and we hear time after time from Mayor Lightfoot and uh, Prisker and so forth that um, there is a commitment to address environmental issues and environmental racism in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. However, uh, we haven't seen that uh, being translated into legislation or action. We mm-hmm. gotta also remember that uh, in uh, these same developers, Sterling Bay. Receive uh, uh, over 1.3 billion dollars in tip subsidies. I mean, last time I said, like I saw, you know, Lincoln Park doesn't seem to be blighted. <laughs> but you know, but but again, you know, the the issue with you know with the current administration about broken promises, right? Not only after campaigning against these TIF giveaways, they were given uh, ultimately to. That was one of the first. Uh, sessions in in uh, one of the first uh, decisions that the mayor made, uh, some of us were outside protesting, right? So there's a history with that. And uh, fast forwarding, uh, you know, almost three years later, when we have the opportunity to truly talk about environmental justice, the, com- the mayor also campaigned on restoring the Department of the Environment, we're still waiting on that promise. Um, but what concerns us most is the community effects on communities like Southeast Chicago, right? When we see um, communities that have been devastated by uh, environmental uh, racism and pollution for decades, we gotta we gotta see the the impact that this has had in our communities. Trip, like the average uh, rates uh, of asthma for kids is like triple the average. We have you know in, in diesel emissions, uh, hazardous materials, and, uh, and, and air pollution a community that is in the top percentile. Now I'm not surprised that the at least the hot. Uh, administration has asked the mayor to withhold any permits to general iron i do think that we need to ensure that there's a real investigation because if it is and if there's any justice from the department of the public health and at the three investigations at the federal level we gotta it's very obvious that we have serious community effects there's a federal law that protects communities like southeast chicago and if there's any justice and that and if we are going to change the poor history, poor track record of environmental racism and corruption in the city of Chicago. We must deny the permit and we move towards uh, remediation. Let's imagine for a second, what would we be able to do if we invest $1.3 billion in an actually blighted community to bring green jobs, sustainable jobs. Let's imagine what that looked like, right? So what they're selling us is is far short from what is acceptable or moral.
3: All right. Uh, You talk about the environmental impact of moving this operation to the southeast side. Uh, And I'm reminded of a story that uh, Brett Chase broke. I got him a shout out. Chicago Sun-Times reporter. I wrote about it. uh, I followed up with a column on it. And uh, Lorene, I know you read it. Uh, where not only was the city not vigilant in taking a look at what the impact of emissions are coming from this operation uh, on the north side of Chicago, uh, in the uh, Rahm Emanuel administration, the health commissioner advised, there there was a study that was going to come out uh, that was going to talk about the impact on the environment uh, of the General Irons facility. The health commissioner advised, <laughs> what a city this is, the health commissioner, this is the health commissioner of the city of Chicago, advised the powers that be in the Rahm Emanuel administration to go to the chancellor of the University of Illinois and kill the study. Uh, I, and, in, in defense of Lori Lightfoot, that was the Rahm Emanuel administration. Laureen, in your humble opinion, you're a scientist for the EPA, do you think the city Uh, is accepting the challenge of addressing its environmental issues and fearlessly studying its environmental issues, even if that means denying a permit uh, to a well-connected operator. Do you think the city is looking out for the health interests of its citizens? Go.
0: Absolutely not. And you know, I was a student at UIC School of Public Health, and um, I saw the the chancellor's comment in the article saying, "Oh, we would have denied it." And you know, it's a real shame that there is this corruption, even in our health officials now. Doctor Arwadi, Dr. Arwadi under the Lightfoot administration is not doing much better and standing up for. You know, they keep saying, "Oh, we're standing up for science." As a scientist, I really, you know, take great. I don't know what the exception with, you know, these scientists, these prominent scientists who are, you know, silencing the voice of people who are saying, you know, this this vaccine distribution is not equitable. We've had insanely disproportionate deaths of black and brown and indigenous communities with the COVID uh, virus. And, you know, what's gonna happen once we're moving, you know, AIDS was going on in the eighties, people are still dying of AIDS today, you know, 40, 50 years later. Um, we need to make sure that there's an equitable response and our government is not being run by the people right now. That's why it's not being, and back then under, under Rahm's uh, health commissioner and now we're not getting a true transparent conversation with what, we don't get answers. Where, where is the opportunity for our citizens Um, to really ask questions and challenge power and get the real answers. You know, I, I see journal, like, you know, uh, freelance journalists on Twitter trying to get FOIAs and they get documents back that are completely redacted. You know, there's no, there's no transparency. There's no people are trying and it's so difficult still. So not yet.
3: (laughs) All right. Let me play devil's advocate with you, uh, Byron and Lorraine on this uh, particular issue. Uh, I'm a big uh, believer in uh, automatic uh, privilege I've talked about this on the show. I think I've talked about it with you, Byron, yes. uh, on the show, that I thought that was a made-up issue. Uh, I was a little uh, uh, embarrassed by so many Left the allies uh, were jumping aboard it, Say we need uh, to get rid of alderman and Pryde, give more power to the mayor. Oh, like that's ever worked in the city of Chicago, more power <laughs> to the mayor. I mean, I got a lot of issues with things aldermen do, but at least they're accountable locally for the consequences of their actions. Uh, that said, my old friend Alderwoman Sue Sedlowski Garza is kind of like was first she was for the deal, and now I don't know she's holding back. Are what's your attitude, uh, Byrnesischo Lopez, about whether the the aldermen should just follow uh, Alderwoman Garza's uh, lead on this, or whether they should act independently of whatever she wants on this matter? Go ahead.
4: That's a you know, that's a great question, and in fact, you know we. We had a, a, an interesting conversation this you know, just yesterday um, on the air quality uh, ordinance, the air quality ordinance where um, it was clear that there was still unfortunately some some of my colleagues that continue to side with industry. They continue to side um, um, with a quote unquote growth uh, without acknowledging the, the other side of the coin which uh, has to do with environmental impact and, and the health impact on residents, which is extremely important when we are assessing a, a, um, um, a project of this size and, and this uh, and this, uh, you know this, uh, this impact for the community. I think that um, it is important again and, and I think I was one of those uh, aldermen who have learned quite a bit right about um, what what is meant by, by Mario you know my my um, uh, aldermanic prerogative and this th- you're right in terms of these uh uh misguided conversation about mayoral prerogative and aldermanic prerogative i think you're absolutely right i think that what when it needs to happen in, and i think aldermanic prerogative needs to be followed with community prerogative let's discuss on a process for instance why right? when we have an equality ordinance where we are actually allowing the community to vet with impact studies, with environmental studies and hold the public official accountable. What is happening in this case, it is very convenient for the local official to blame others, right, to point fingers at someone else, right? And said, no, no, it wasn't me, it was the mayor. Oh no, no, it wasn't me, it was the EPA. And and, and you start looking at this uh, state city dynamics, the state says the city, the city says the state, but ultimately nothing gets done and no changes are made. So I do think in this in this case, and I think about may uh, add to, I think a great analysis and I think that you have been right all along around this issue of Aldermanic prerogative is that how can we pass legislation where we allow the community to democratically and based on science, Everybody, I mean, male life who talks about bringing back science and where's the science in this? Where are the science and, and, the, and the facts on this particular issue? Because the F, uh, the federal investigations are very clear that there's some serious issues here. And I think they're urging the, the Lightfoot administration to withhold the permits. I do think it's important for the local alderman, alderman, uh, bo- woman, alder person to always consult with the community and make decisions based on one, science and data, but also based on, the, on, on, on what the community is saying. And overwhelmingly people in Southeast Chicago have said that they reject this plan.
3: Yeah, uh, it seems as though, uh, like I said, alderman, uh, Alderwoman Garza is moving on this issue. By the way, I just have to say this. Uh, I, I'm not uh, obsessive on this issue, uh, uh, Laureen and uh, Byron. I, I don't believe, oh, you automatically have to listen to the Alderman, okay? So I reserve the right to make my own judgment based on the information that's out there, regardless of what the local Alderman said. So it could be a possibility uh, Byron, then you would propose something and I would say, sorry, I disagree with you. If you suddenly decided you were going to have a, a mega tiff deal in your ward, for instance, that was going to help some rich guy and move out poor people, I would be like, I don't know, but I, that's not happening. I'm not saying Byron's doing that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just saying that's an example. So for instance, Brian Hopkins was for Lincoln Yards, second ward alderman. Just because Brian Hopkins is for it, if I were an alderman, God help us all, that doesn't mean that I would be for it. I'm just saying that uh, on an overall matter, I would take greater, I don't know, I would believe the local alderman before it. I would just automatically believe the city in this. Lorene, what's your position on all this? Aldermanic control or uh, mayoral control?
0: I think it was a big theatrical performance. I saw the way, you know, being, you know, observing Byron's political career and seeing how the media reports on it has been a very interesting experience for me. And, um, you know, when when he was talking about, you know, fighting for his community, they, the papers were all running these headlines saying, you um, you know, oh, he he ran to be a community leader, you know, grassroots activist, and now he's some boss who wants aldermanic prerogative. And the whole time he was talking about community prerogative, but they wanted to construct this narrative of, oh, he wants aldermanic prerogative. And f- fortunately, I mean, he was able to just you know, be consistent that he is, he wants community prerogative. And there's a real distrust, you know, because the 1% runs our government. So if you look at, if you connect back to the ROM uh, public health commissioner thing to now, there's a, there's a consistent distrust of the public there of you know marita um, in her email was saying like oh if we release these this the study it's going to uh, make the residents of lincoln park afraid or something or the, the people will be confused. confused so why why are the government leaders so much more competent than ordinary people who can read the study themselves what do they imagine that they're all going to become some raving mob and be like <laughs> oh my god you know and It's the same thing here. Like you think that a community can't rationally come to a conclusion. Like Byron's um, doing with zoning, he's he's bringing these community meetings out, and they're moving projects along. They're not like they have these like Parks and Rec style um, uh, uh, stereotypes of what public meetings are like, where there's just a bunch of crazy people who are not rational, and most of us are rational. It's kind of the only reason society exists any functional degree is because ordinary people are functional while our, our leaders are puppets of the 1% are like taking us on this crazy roller coaster ride while we're just trying to keep things on the tracks.
3: Puppets of the 1%, uh, that is triggering a notion. I, I have to ask you about Leonard Goodman's, uh, column in the reader before we leave puppets of the one percent uh letter goodman very provocative essay in the reader we'll talk about the one whether joe biden's a puppet of the one percent but going back to what you said about confused lorraine i have a huge smile on my face i've been covering politics forever as you know in the city of chicago and i remember when mike quigley uh was uh, who's now a congressman got uh, the tiff reformer bug i think it was in 2007 2006, the summer of 2006, and he advanced a bill of the Cook County Board of Commissioners that would force the county to put how much the TIF tax was on a tax bill, how much you were paying to the TIFs on a tax bill. And I remember, uh, what was the committee, uh, the commissioner from Evanston, Larry, suffered in saying that would confuse the voters. And that was the first time I'd heard that line, and, and quickly he's like, as if they're not already confused. Uh, and I, 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 had a huge smile when you said that because the health commissioner, she said, yeah, let's withhold this study because it would conf- confuse the voters. Like if you give them information, what a thought, like if you give them information that will overwhelm them and they'll be confused. So withhold information from them so they're dumb, at least they won't be confused. I I find that just mind boggling. It's like something out of George Orwell. Uh, the notion that somehow or other, the public, Byron, get your thoughts on this, is better served if they have less information to make decisions on. That cannot be a healthy way to run a city.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's and unfortunately, that's what we'll be seeing more and more, right? These air quality ordinance, the latest, right? Does not allow the community to see the process from beginning and to end, right? To vet, to having impact studies. It goes again, gives mayoral control. It gives my- mayoral oversight. And by the time that things are decided, unfortunately, it's way too late for the community to uh, to respond or react. And you're right. We cannot continue to operate under these um, uh, you know top-down approaches or these uh, you know uh, behind-the-scenes the deal. That it is really hurting. You know, it's, it's hurting us. Uh, is hurting our, our communities um, in a you know in a, in a in a time where we need to make sure that you know we have more than ever before coordination between uh, you know government entities uh, with community and so forth because of the, the 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 issues that we have. But that's again I think going to what Lorraine said. What we have seen in our zoning decisions is that people know very well what's good and what's new for for their community for what they live right. And unfortunately, we we continue to see uh, um, a rubber stamp o- uh, council that rather gives the power to the mayor when it's convenient, and you know, try to take it, you know, when when it's convenient to them. We got to make sure that we're consistent. And you're right, accountability is very difficult for public officials. But you know, that's what we're here. You know, it's a tough job, and deviating responsibility, avoiding responsibility, or putting it in someone's hands outside the community creates this kind of situation as we're seeing, unfortunately, with general.
3: All right, you've mentioned a couple times, and before we leave the environmental discussion behind, let's uh, delve into it, the air quality ordinance that passed a a city council committee yesterday. I think it was 14 to 4 was the vote. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that was the vote. 14 to 4 in favor of the air quality uh, ordinance. But even though it passed the committee, it was opposed by many leading environmental groups, uh, which it's an interesting contrast in the midst of everything we've been talking about the need to be more vigilant, uh, in protecting communities against the environment. The air quality ordinance is that's opposed by environmental groups is passed, uh, by the city council. We'll start with you, Byron. Uh, what are the issues here, uh, that cause people to object to the ordinance as it now stands?
4: Yeah. So a few things. And, and it was very telling in the hearing that, there was no one single community group, environmental community group that was in support of this ordinance. It's talking about the top-down approach, you know, the lack of dialogue or even involvement of public health experts and people who have been doing this work for a long time. In fact, and because of that, many organizations, the Illinois Environmental Council um, uh, and the Southeast Environmental Coalition, uh, we also saw the, uh, the Respiratory Health Association, the Center for Neighborhood Technology, among others, you know, there was an overwhelming uh, opposition to it. Again, because it one made an exemption on warehouses, right? One warehouses, and you know, with Amazon and a lot of these facilities, they need to be regulated. There's also a lot of diesel emissions. There's also a lot of discussion needs to happen. We also have seen um, with uh, you know with the lack of support, the lack of uh, the uh, the the lack of teeth of these uh, ordinances so that when there's issues that are identified, in, especially around community effects, that we are able to stop these projects on their tracks before they, they move forward. Those provisions, that kind of community prerogative, and I like to coin that term, right? that So that people have the ability to vet these projects, to ask for co- impact studies, so that we don't continue to see this, um, this dirty industry in a time where we know that the future, and again, in in, uh, in a conversation yesterday, the Department of Planning acknowledged that this is th- these are not long-term investments. The, the, the future is green. We know that we me- need to address uh, global warming, that we need to bring green jobs. That's where the future is at. The Department of Planning basically said, yeah, we're gonna have a meeting next time, or oh, well, let's talk about that next time. But yeah, you're making decisions right now. Mm-hmm. So, again, the, the, the contradictions in, in that conversation and the power of industry, what i say, the power of industry uh, that really has a lot, of, um, a lot of influence in the council and the state and is not able to help us move towards the Green New Deal of, uh, or other pieces of legislation that are critical today more than ever.
3: Uh, Well, we'll close with this one with a question. I'd love to hear your response, Lorene. Uh, The opposite side of this uh, issue is people who uh, manufacturing interests uh, uh, and uh, warehouse interests, etc. so far, the Chamber of Commerce say uh, that uh, people like Byron are going too far, that they're hurting Uh, the economy with their restrictions. They're hurting the economy with their environmental laws and their oversight, and that we should be doing more to encourage any company to open up in Chicago because we desperately need the jobs as as a scientist and as environmentalist. What's your response to that?
0: If we need jobs so much, then they need to really think about national legislation that would protect communities from these types of industries. I mean, across the nation, you see all types of industries that continually abuse the um, oligarchy and put, you know, hog farms and metal shredders in people's backyards. And it truly destroys their lives through generations. I mean, the people in South Chicago have like, I think more than half of the people have asthma. You know, I grew up, uh, in uh, the ninth Illinois ninth under Sh- in Shukowsky's district, I don't have asthma, and now I realize that a lot of that reasoning is because of my zip code, um, and because of the sperm lottery, right? And so we need to really have a, a situation where if you want to have polluting industry, we need to create st- health-based standards that say you need X amount of green buffer. Why don't we have it where if you want to open a metal shredder, we do a study on how far the particulates go, and then you have to buy x miles of land all around your um, your your facility and it has to be a nature preserve and then you have you know and then, and then you're able to preserve green space and also have like you have your industry and you absorb all the externalities and this is what this is we're destroying the economy because we're refusing to accept the externalities of another uh, institution that is not shared they're sharing, they're keeping the profits for themselves, but we are all bearing the cost. So what is that? That's the same thing Bernie Sanders has been saying, you know, socialism for the rich and rugged capitalism for the poor. And it's environmentalism. It's every single issue that you can imagine. And, you know, if they if they want to have polluting industry, you know, I understand that, you know, we need to discuss as a full society the, the costs of whatever our modern lifestyles, but we need to put people's health first, no matter how much money they make, no matter their ethnic background or cultural background. Um, And until that becomes a priority, until the working class is empowered to have a voice in their own lives, then I don't wanna talk about the economy for the oligarchs.
3: Well put, that was quite a riff, Laureen, I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, uh, let's switch gears and uh, talk a little budget. Uh, in the Chicago city council, get your uh, thoughts on this one. I had a smile at this. Uh, We've been talking a lot on the show uh, since you were last on uh, about uh, the $281 million in COVID relief money that uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, her administration spent on the police. I wrote a column very critical of her having fun with it. Um, I've been taking a lot of heat from mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, supporters ever since. (laughs) I'm not very popular the with them here? right now who are these
4: people? <laughs> <laughs> they exist they
3: are somewhere They're Just read my, my just read the comment section uh, of the reader and you'll see who they are um but uh that so be it I'm a big boy I can handle it uh but it was so funny because at the time follow me where I'm going with this uh at the time uh Lori Lightfoot and uh, her supporters were saying we're in the middle of a crisis. And we have to pay our bills and we have obligations. And it is really uh, irresponsible of critics like hippies who do podcasts from their attics overlooking the alley uh, and radical lefties, uh, aldermen and their wives. uh, It's really irresponsible uh, for them to say we can't spend this uh, COVID relief money on police because if we don't spend it on police, uh, we are going to have to raise your taxes. And then, so last week, I think it was the Congress, I've lost track of time, uh, passed the $1.9 trillion relief bill. Joe Biden signed into law, and it means like billions of dollars will be pouring into Chicago. And Lori Lightfoot, she I'm not making this up, Lorraine and Byron, she gave a statement. She goes, This is not a slush fund. We're <laughs> <laughs> I go, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm all confused, man. And I'm not that smart to begin with. I thought it was a slush fund. I thought you were criticizing the hippie in the attic for saying it shouldn't be a slush fund. Now you're telling the alderman. We can't just spend this whatever you want, Byron Sister Lopez. This has got every nickel has to go for exactly how it was designated by the federal government. Okay? So Byron, help me out on this. Which way is it? Is it a slush fund or is it not a slush fund? Help me out, Byron.
4: <laughs> That's uh, well. The 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 irony. All, all in Chicago, I think we've seen this kind of this kind of uh, uh, rhetoric. But but it, it was absolutely the evidence suggests this was a slush fund for the mayor. Two hundred eighty-one million dollars that end up, you know, in the Chicago Police Department for COVID nineteen related expenses. Believe it or not, when not. I mean, at least going around the, the, the older persons around, nobody had an idea that the police were actually doing some kind of wellness checks and some, we, none of us had any idea that this was going on. So uh, again, uh, going back again for that, that, that bad vote about the emergency powers and, and going back again, doing a fiduciary, I mean, the mayor loves to talk about doing a fiduciary responsibility, right? Well, mayor life with that, it starts by you providing checks and balances and actual audits of how the money is being spent. So again, but, but we, we, we definitely need to make sure that this doesn't happen again, right? So I, I think that the lesson for us and I hope for my colleagues is that we cannot just write a blank check and then later be, you know, um, asking, oh, how how did this and how did this happen? Well, it happened because we allow it to happen. And it's got to be very clear about it. So I think that for those of my colleagues who, who you know, and and, and, as, and I think we mentioned it briefly, uh, even Alderman Burke had a... Yeah. I, I, a, a I I think a real um, real great presentation uh, about the the breakdown of the budget. Anybody who hears that breakdown will tell you that it is impossible that they spend the money the way that they told us that they were spending the money. There's so many inconsistencies and more than anything else, the lack of, and, and the worst part is the terrible results of all this $281 million got us 750 murders in the city of Chicago last year, uh, over 1,400 carjackings. So for those who say, well, why don't we invest more on it? How, I mean, let's, let's. I mean, that's, a, that's the definition of insanity that we're gonna invest in the exact same thing and expect different results. And Mayor Lightfoot is already indicating that she had no problems uh, doing that. We ought to be, uh, you know, doing a fiduciary responsibility and put those monies those resources and that funding into our schools, putting back in our youth programming, putting it back in our most, um, you know, most affected neighborhoods. Let's let's look at the numbers over 5,000 deaths, mainly in African American and Latinx communities. We ought to make sure that we look at what works. We know that violence prevention works. We know that reserve justice works. We know that youth unemployment works. Let's look at the carjackings. Many of them are minors. I mean, we gotta look at the science. And again, Mayor life, let's look at the research-based policies that work and not the smoking mirrors that unfortunately we see time after time in city council all
3: right before we uh move on i have to get you to address that ed burke thing uh uh, alderman uh lopez told me something that was so funny i was laughing i just got to set this up uh i've i've been battling ed burke since i've been in chicago uh and i don't i I don't know if he's friends with you guys or whatever but i i just find him one of the most (laughs) Uh, offensive alderman that I've been dealing with. He fought Harold. This is before you guys were here. He fought Harold Washington, my beloved Harold Washington. Every I I I have no love for Ed Burke. Ed Burke got in trouble, fell out of sorts. He lost his finance committee chair. Uh, Lori Lightfoot pounds him like a pinata. It's the fastest way that Lori Lightfoot can look good to reformers in Chicago. She does that, yeah. Whoa. I'm suggesting that perhaps behind the cameras they're all lovey dovey. Anyway, the fastest way to win over uh reformers is to bash uh Ed Burke. So Ed Burke out of nowhere suddenly becomes the old Scott Waggespack and starts chastising the, the mayor. The old Scott Waggisback starts chastising the mayor uh and her, for spending the $281 million. I couldn't. But I had such a. I found that so delightfully ironic. In my opinion, he was just mad at her because she was pounding him like a piñata. Uh, so I wrote a column about it. Little did I know, Byron. Take it away from there. What you told Burke. Go ahead. Finish the story there. So,
4: and that's right. I think. And by the way, it's just for the for the record. You know, there was definitely no no friendship or anything like that. I think our politics are couldn't be farther apart. Right. Uh, this got to be the first time actually that we spoken <laughs> since you know being in office and I actually had to talk to him about because he he's in the environmental committee so i needed to talk to him about a letter that we're sending the mayor which by the way he signed uh and then you know i i happened to you know and i, I did you know tell him, look i i think the your analysis of the budget was spot on so and i'm not sure if you've seen this uh this article in the reader and uh, he said well no no I haven't I haven't haven't seen it. So he emailed me said, hey, can you send it to me? So I did send it. And he was, you know, it sounded like he was pretty delighted of the article. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, you never know. I, I don't know. And you're right. What's going on in what planet we live in. But what I, what I do tell you, uh, and I did is, is very clear that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong because if Alderman Burke, out of all people, can see that this is just awful and nobody, and I think your analysis and the reader is very spot on, right? Nobody has known the ins and outs of the budget committee or the budget, you know, than Alderman Burke. And I think, like, if any if there was any time where he's being honest, it was in that uh, <laughs> tight section of the of the budget, which was, for us, important, you know, to use as evidence of how wrong and how bad the city is being managed under Mayor life
3: Well, that is something else you're sending him. Next thing you know, Burke's going to turn into me. He's going to let his hair grow long. He's going to be hanging out in his attic, smoking reefer, okay? Well, <laughs> He's going to turn into an old hippie.
0: In acting, they say, we all have the capacity to be the prostitute or the priest. It's all a matter of circumstance.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure which one I am in that uh, <laughs> prostitute. Or pri- I have to think about that if that's an insult or a compliment. All right. Uh, Lorraine, I got to ask you. I, I sent you the article. and you do. Oh, I didn't send it. I told you about it. You dutifully read it. Thank you. You did your homework fast. You're a very fast reader. Uh, Leonard Goodman, a good friend of the show, uh, Chicago defense, criminal defense lawyer. Who's was Bogovic's, uh criminal defense lawyer for that matter. <laughs> uh, and just an out and out lefty. I always name like the lefties on my show, Laureen. It's like you, Leonard Goodman, and my friend Sam Holloway, the firefighter. He may be the leftiest lefty. Uh, but Leonard Goodman came out with a critique that I know is irritating the hell out of a lot of Democrats. It kind of irritates me on many levels. Uh, but <laughs> I kind of respect him for having uh, uh, the guts to write it. Uh, and essentially it was uh, criticizing Joe Biden for not going far enough in terms of the uh, uh, COVID relief bill and not promoting, for instance, uh, health care for all, the Bernie uh, Sanders healthcare for all idea. Uh, and it was warning that Democrats are too much under the control of corporate interests and corporate America. Um, I'm going to bring him on and have a discussion about it. I think he was like a little unfair to a certain degree, uh, but the part of the story did kind of resonate with me a little bit. So what was your thoughts? You read the article. What was your general thoughts about uh, Leonard Goodman's critique?
0: Um, I was like that gif, like no lies detected. I mean, you know, what, what's there to be upset about? He he's speaking truth to power. I mean, at the end, they talk about like, why are these barriers up at the Capitol still? And that's, it's becoming like both parties don't govern. It's a theatrical performance what we see in the press, um, and in, you know, popular media of them, oh, that the Republicans are the, you know, traditional values guys and the Demo- And if, if you don't, if you don't vote for the Democrats, then the Republicans are going to kill you. So you better vote for the Democrats. And, you know, that's a very, um, harmful thing. And so when you see guys like Byron running for alderman, um, in a democratic city, why were all the Democrats against him? if they're all for working class power and that sort of thing. So from, from my perspective, you know, having been in the trenches of a city council race, it doesn't seem wrong. And so Biden, I mean, he has like, on unions, he seems to be doing okay. Um, but in terms of the the $15 minimum wage, I mean, black women took swept him into office and who Mm -hmm. would benefit them? Who is most, um, in need of these, um, Who's working at Amazon? You know, who are these people who are being exploited for their labor? Um, People of color, women, the ones who swept him into office. And he, he needs to be the president. He can't just, you know, sometimes you'll have like, I'll have these like conspiracy theories. Right. And sometimes I can have a positive conspiracy theory. And so my if I wanted to give Biden the benefit of the doubt, I could sort of invest in my positive conspiracy theory in which he's like he's like, look, I'm going to be good on the unions. And if the unions go and do their union thing, then they'll restore democracy through the unions. And me cutting all these deals with these corporations right now will be just a little Blip on my record, but I did I did good by the unions. And, you know, if Amazon wins the fight in Alabama, if these good things happen, then, you know, the next president will maybe be even more accountable to unions and maybe get us a twenty dollar minimum wage, which is which is what it should be, Um, you know, based on how much things cost and how much it costs to live in this country.
3: Yeah, that fight that uh, Lorraine's alluding to is a big battle. Uh, I sh- I haven't done enough, uh, spent enough time talking about it. A- Amazon facility in Alabama is trying to there's a unionizing organizing effort, and 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 Amazon does not play, Lorraine. I mean, they, they they with the stuff that you were up against uh, with Trump and your union. Uh, and the stuff that my baby union was up against when we first organized and the sometimes owned us, this is years ago, the old ownership is nothing compared to what Amazon's doing down there. They're pulling out every trick in the book. They're like even like saying to people here, we'll pay you to leave the job That's so they right. can just bring in a whole new workforce. Uh, that, so uh, I, I give Biden credit for doing that shout out. Uh, I listened very carefully. What your point is, is that you know, he's being very selective is what you're saying uh, and showing, giving. He's, able, he's
0: like, look, I got to be a sellout here. Cause this is the oligarchy. And, and and this is like, not really accurate. Like he, he said, nothing will fundamentally change. And on issues of war on issues of, um, you know, healthcare and pay for the, for the poor, you know, he hasn't moved. He's like respecting the word of a parliamentarian. Are you kidding me? Like, we should be organizing against the parliamentarian now. Like they're going to find every obstacle. Like, Oh my God, our horoscope says we're not allowed to vote today. And that's, what's going to hold us back next.
3: Yeah, they uh, the parliamentarian, of course, is the the woman uh, in the the Senate who ruled that they cannot vote on the minimum wage as part of the package, the 1.9 trillion dollar package. We've been talking about the show a lot. All right, we're going to close, uh, Byron. I'm going to allow you an opportunity to talk about what's going on with this lawyer who's under house arrest. Uh, this is a story. I must confess uh, that you introduced me to, I apologize for not being more aware about it. Uh, it was in the nation and I read the article that you said, you gave me homework and I dutifully, uh, did the homework. Uh, and I think we're going to reach out to this gentleman, uh, and you're going to be our bridge and bring him on, but why don't you just introduce folks uh, to this topic? Go ahead.
4: Yeah, this is, you know, in a time of, uh, environmental, uh, racism in a time, you know, when we've seen here in Chicago, with the hunger strike against Jenna Iron, and we see the big influence of corporations, you know, over the the even the health uh, and well being, and even on federal federal mandates. Uh, this this uh, this case of attorney Stephen Donziger, who is a civil rights and environmental attorney, uh, who in the '90s uh, became very involved in a fight to hold Chevron accountable for the environmental damage, and this is uh, of uh, of unprecedented scale. The Amazon in, in Ecuador um, suffered from illegal uh, dumping of oil um, using practices that were banned in the US back in the 1960s, but they use in Ecuador uh, uh, dumping uh, oil indiscriminately uh, for at least two or three decades where oil Ended up in the rivers, in in the in the rivers of our communities. Ended up in the um, damaging the not only nature, animals, but also creating thousands of 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 people who uh, who died out of cancer rates, uh, uh, birth defects, you name it. Thousands of people in the 90s, uh, and and most recently, um, you know, in uh, in international courts, uh, Stephen Donziger was able to force and hold Chevron accountable to pay reparations to the the disaster they created um, uh, in in, in, a, in a huge scale for environmental uh, standards. I mean, uh, the Amazon Watch and many other groups can denounce this as a crime of, of humanity. And, and this corporation- Chevron was
0: ordered to pay-
4: uh, $9.5 $9. billion yeah. to pay because of the, the hard work of this environmental attorney, um, that has, you know, been fighting for, for a long time until he got the conviction uh, in courts in the Supreme Court in Canada and Ecuador and other countries. Unfortunately, here in the U.S., Chevron was able to use the judicial system to basically work with the judge with very much very close ties with tobacco industry, oil industry, and this judge uh, basically has used the courts to almost hire a a, a private prosecutor that has ties with Chevron to come after this gentleman. Now they use this court and trying to basically confiscate cell phone materials, uh, data, computers, so that they can intimidate, retaliate, and maybe have some effect on this court, accusing him of basically uh, corrupt practices on the ruling in Ecuador, which is, can be farther from the truth. In fact, they have used a judge that somehow this corporation uh, paid now, they leave, he lives in asylum, he's in Ecuador. They use that testimony, another testimony of the other judges who have ruled in favor of Ecuador. This kind of ruling also has put this uh, attorney, uh, Stephen Dunsinger, in uh, home detention. He's yeah. in, in home detention for over 600 days is unprecedented and we need to condemn these kind of corporations and the use of the judicial system for intimidation and retaliation. They should be they should be paying the nine point five billion dollars in repair and in reparations instead of using the courts in here in the US against those who are actually fighting for civil rights.
3: Yeah, I know this is important to you uh because you have family in Ecuador on top of everything else. So uh yeah fascinating case. Uh he's in house arrest. Yeah that blew my mind. Uh
0: they took away his law license. He can't practice anymore. So that what they've done, you know, of course, they're violating environmental laws all over the world. And now they've blocked one of the key experts from being able to do his job to protect uh, people's uh, health and environment all over the world now.
3: Yeah, it's a, um, a story that we will be following and that uh, we've run out of time. I, we didn't even get an opportunity to talk, uh, uh, Byron, about the case that uh, you're a plaintiff on but I've we discussed it with your with the Attorney Adolfo Mondragon, yes, uh, Lorraine. That's the one where uh, Barrister Lopez lent his name to a lawsuit that could have huge uh, repercussions for his good friend Ed Burke, among other people. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, uh, and Michael Madigan. Uh, if that lawsuit prevails and if folks are more are curious, you should listen to the interview I did with attorney Adolfo Mandragon last week. We talked about it at length where uh, if you prevail a uh, Byron, uh, then that Danny Solis will not be allowed to spend money. He raises for his political campaigns on his criminal defenses on his cr- criminal defense lawyers. And if that happened, then the same, rule would apply presumably uh, to former house speaker michael madigan former alderman ed burke so this is a very i don't know if you realize what you were getting into uh when you <laughs> signed on to this one byron uh, and Lorraine. but uh this could have some long lasting ramifications so, uh, we so
4: we hope so hope so we hope that we hope we set a different precedent you know
3: all right, I want to thank you both so much for coming on the show and being a good friend of my show ever since I've been on the air. All right, you two oh. take stay safe and sound. We'll talk to you real soon.
4: Thanks for having us. Thanks, because We're going to Ben. Take care.
3: Bye, guys. Right. Byron Sixo Lopez, Lorene Targos. What you got for me, D? They are so cute. <laughs> Political <laughs> love couple. Love <laughs> couple. My goodness, holding
2: hands the entire time, guys. <laughs> I had to hold up little signs that said no kissing during the interview. (laughs) Come on, get it together. You love birds. And we forgot to ask him about that time. He had to spell his name.
3: Oh my goodness. Next time. Next time.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Next time.
4: B-Y-R-O-N-S-I-G-C-H-O-L-O-P-E-Z. A
2: lot of people on the live stream chat are wanting a mayoral run from either Byron
3: Sigcho Lopez or Laureen Targos. What do you think about that, Ben? I uh, think <laughs> it'd be awesome. Listen, I um, know Byron for a long time. I met Lorraine because of her union activities and she's a fighter folks. She's got a lot of guts. I mean, uh, she stood up, her union's one of my favorites. It's the uh, union of EPA employees and they were on the front lines fighting Trump's environmental uh, assault on environmental laws from the get go. I give a lot of love and credit for, uh, to them uh, for taking a strong stand there and, their jobs were in jeopardy. Uh, so, uh, Lorene Targos, create a courageous on top of everything else. We didn't do any union discussions. We could have done gone down that, uh, path, but, uh, she's a, a force in the union as well.
2: All right, everybody, uh, find out more information on Lorene Targos and Byron Sigcho Lopez. I don't know. Google it. You'll, you'll find it. Uh, that is our show for today, guys. Remember you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more over 900 episodes that you can download at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download podcasts. You can find us online uh, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us an email, Benny Show at gmail.com. I usually say leave your name and where you're from, but uh, scratch that. Just leave us a message, and if we like it, we'll read it. How about that? And you can call The Ben Jarovsky Show, 708-658-4788. 708 658 4788. Maybe call us up, leave us a voicemail, and let us know who you would like to run against Mayor Lori Lightfoot in uh, 2023.
1: How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Hillary, that
2: question sucked. (laughs) What are you talking about?
3: (laughs) Uh, Lovely. Uh Maya's favorite uh <laughs> bit that we play. All right, I want to thank Byron, uh Laureen for doing a great job as they always do. And of course, the man the myth the legend, the pride and joy of all Illinois, without whom the show would be possible. And as everybody knows, back home at home, they call him white lightning. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
4: Illinois. Is B-Y-R-O-N-S-I-G-C-H-O-L-O-P-E-Z.
1: Play the radio. Play the radio. How did you... How did you... the radio make sure the television the, excuse me make sure you have the record player on at night the, the, the phone make sure the kids hear word how did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book good question mayor good question play the radio
0: that executive order restaurants bars many small businesses have struggled to stay afloat can you give them illinoisans assurances that the worst is behind them
1: Know, I feel better today than I have in this entire year. Um, as you see, our numbers have significantly declined. The numbers of people going into the hospital, getting sick, uh, going on a ventilator uh, in an ICU ward, uh, and we've got more people vaccinated than uh, on a per capita basis than any other of the top ten largest states in the country.